following podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Let's open our Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Christians at Corinth, as we have been discussing, had many gifts of the Spirit. They, they had them all going. But these gifted believers had lost sight of the purpose of their gifts. They thought that they were for their own pleasure, but Paul comes along and reminds them that every gift that comes from God is given with the intention to edify and strengthen and build up others. Paul maintained that the principles of love and edification must guide the use of gifts in our gatherings and in our worship time. He urged the Corinthians to devote themselves to using those spiritual gifts for the purpose they were given. And that purpose was to serve others. Now, as we begin, let's be sure we understand the reason that Paul emphasizes in this chapter the gift of tongues. It is not because of its special importance among the other gifts, but because the Corinthians had taken it to improper extremes. Okay, they, as we have said, kind of got things turned upside down in their misunderstandings and in their, their zeal for the gifts. Knowing that the Corinthians have been abusing this gift in particular, Paul spends time on the subject not to exalt it, but to bring it back into balance where it belonged. Paul's main point here is the character of Christian worship. And in this way, chapter 14 connects directly to chapter 13. For Paul, love captures the integrity and the character of one's life in the spirit. Spiritual gifts gain their usefulness in the church from the Christ-likeness of its recipients. And as we've been saying, they're holy and righteous expressions of Jesus Christ. The problem with speaking in tongues was not with the gift that God had given. <laughs> it was because of the believer's use of it, okay? Again, they're abusing it. When believers focus upon their gifts and abilities rather than on others, the problems of pride and arrogance, spiritual superiority always will arise. And this leads to some people thinking that their gifts and their abilities make them better and more favored and privileged than others. And this is exactly what had happened to the Corinthian church. And it is, unfortunately, what has happened to many believers since the first century, first, since Corinth. Simply put, the gift of tongues is just one of many gifts. 
Each gift has its place in fulfilling the mission of the Lord's church, and each must be used properly and effectively to build up the body of Christ, as well as reaching the world for Christ as well. So let's jump in chapter 14 as we see Paul making a love and gift connection here in this first verse. He says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And so in this verse, Paul creates a direct link between the desire for gifts and the pursuit of love. Without love, gifts lose their effectiveness as Christ-empowered tools of the Spirit. In other words, the eager desire for gifts needs to be, must be rooted in the pursuit of love, which is why chapter 13 sits in between chapter 12 and chapter 14. Even though the believers in Corinth were abusing the gifts, Paul doesn't tell the church, please notice with me, he does not tell the church to dismiss them, nor does he tell them to deny them. He actually says, desire the gifts of the Spirit. You see, in their abuse, they had misunderstood the principles of ministry. But the answer was not to deny the work of the Holy Spirit. The answer was to learn how to use the spiritual gifts properly as God intended them to be used. Much of what we see today in the church is a reaction, I think, against those who have misused the gifts of the Spirit. However, the answer to that which is being abused is not to forsake but to properly understand. And this is what Paul is after, I think, in this chapter. Note two things I want us to see here, two points. First, love is to be pursued above all else in life. Gifts, abilities, and service are important, but they stand in the shadows of love they pale in significance in comparison to love. Love is the greatest need and the supreme answer to all of people's needs. So Paul says, follow the way of love. I just so appreciate those words. Remember coming out of chapter 12, moving into chapter 13, he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. And here in chapter 14, and so he says, follow the way of love. The Greek word that Paul chooses to use, which we translate as follow, is a word that means to pursue, to persist, to continue on and on, never, ever giving up. What a good word he chooses to use with regards to pursuing love. Secondly, spiritual gifts he says, are to be desired. We are to pursue love first, but this does not mean we are to seek, that we are not to seek the gifts that God has given. On the contrary, the more we love God, I think the more we will find ourselves loving others, 
And the more then out of that, we will want to be more and more effective for, the, for our God and for his kingdom, more effective in impacting others, people's lives and meeting their needs at that point. As we're pursuing love, we realize, oh, but there are other ways that we can further impact in greater ways through these gifts that God makes available to be effective for his kingdom. The Greek word that Paul chooses to use for desire is a word that means to covet earnestly, to be zealous and ambitious for. So this first verse would kind of read like, you know, follow the way of love, pursue it, persist Continue on and on. Don't ever give up. Desire it. Covet it earnestly. Be zealous and ambitious for those gifts. Pursue love. Desire gifts. Verse 2, he goes on and says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Notice the words, does not speak to people but to God. The aim of this particular gift is the individual, not the community. And what we're going to see in this chapter, this 14 chapters, Paul I think is making reference to with regards to speaking in tongues, a prayer language, but also in there kind of underneath that is that gift possibly being used in a public gathering, but that being done properly as well, meaning it would have to be accompanied with their interpretation. And we'll, we'll see more of that. So the aim is the particular of the Prayer language that I think Paul is talking about here is the individual, not the community, not a gathering of folks. As such, speaking in tongues is then the opposite of prophecy. By contrasting the gifts, purposes in this way, Paul is able to affirm both speaking in tongues as a God-directed gift while ex expressing it being lesser in terms of value in the public gathering, okay? And so the problem then is, again, not the gift of tongues, but the setting that it is being used in. Since no one understands the speaker, Paul says, there is no message, so then no one can be built up or edified at that point. Paul's objective once again, it is not to belittle the gift, but to correct those who use it to promote themselves, getting all puffed up and prideful over their, their spiritual gift. Once again, Paul does not deny the benefits of speaking in tongues. 
a.k.a. prayer language. And, and he does not dismiss the fact that it does bring benefit for personal devotion in one's personal private prayer life. And from that perspective, he says, I wish that you all did spoke in tongues. Yet the Spirit grants gifts to whomever, whenever, for one reason, to primarily strengthen Christ's body. So a prayer language strengthens the individual. Prophecy strengthens the body. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So when he mentions that those, that one that prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, not talking about the person or the individual, that would defeat Paul's purpose, wouldn't it? As he's speaking against pride and arrogance, he's meaning that the prophecy then in terms of significance and value to the whole body becomes greater than the prayer language of speaking in tongues. Prophecy will either be for edification, through which the Lord builds us up, for exhortation, through which he gets us going, or for comfort, through which he wraps his loving arms around us. Prophecy in the early church probably most likely resembled something kind of like what we do in the modern day church, kind of like what we're doing right now is there is someone here standing in front of you bringing a message from God, from His Word. And that's what was going on here, and that's what prophecy is intended to be understood. Remember now, I think often when people hear prophecy, they think of foretelling the future. That is not what this gift is about. It is simply bringing, proclaiming God's message for His people. It was a message from God to his people delivered by a person in a language that they understood, okay? Let's read on verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? At first glance, as we're going to go through the rest of these verses here, it's going to seem like Paul is really belaboring his point. But I think he obviously sees it as necessary for the Corinthians. It's my opinion. He probably didn't realize at the time that centuries later, we would need it just as much in our day and in our time. And so to further clarify, Paul uses several illustrations with... Beginning with Paul saying, if he were to visit the church at Corinth, he's been there, he started the church, but if he were to come back, you know, some five years or so have gone by, he wouldn't come speaking in tongues, he says to them, in a public gathering. Why? Because speaking this way wouldn't profit anybody. <coughs> no one would be able to understand what he was saying. His visit and his proclamation wouldn't do anyone any good. And so the only way that his visit and his words would help would be if he shared a message from God in words that they could actually understand their language. In verse 7, he continues his illustrations as he refers to, he uses the term lifeless things like musical instruments. 
It illustrates this fact as well. They must have a distinctive sound or else their sound is meaningless and nonsensical. In verse 8, he talks about a military trumpet blowing. It illustrates the point also because when a soldier blows the trumpet, he must communicate properly with it or else the army won't get the signals needed to prepare for battle. In verse 9, a person's own speech is another illustration. A person must speak words that are understood or else the listeners do not know what is being said. Ever been in a conversation with someone who maybe had a super high intellect and they're using a ton of words that you have no idea what they're talking about? And you're, you're wanting to say, give it to me in English. They're talking English, but they're words you don't get, you don't understand. So you'll say, I needed that in layman's terms. That's kind of what is being said here. Verse 10, the same would be true with speaking a foreign language, Paul says. What good would it do if it's not being understood? And then in verse 12, look at verse 12. He says, so it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Let me say once again, like I've been saying in the past couple weeks, the Corinthians have got things turned upside down. They had made speaking in tongues the, the go-to gift, the, the one that really mattered all, you know, the most, and um, tried to picture the, their, the gathering, a worship service in first century Corinth. As they come together, and they're having church, and then all of a sudden, you've got, I'll just throw a number out there, 10, 12 individuals all going off in their different tongues, going at the same time, <laughs> no one understanding what's being said, and all that is creating is a bunch of chaos and a bunch of confusion. And, and because of pride and arrogance, you can picture one person thinking, I need to get a little louder because I want them to hear me. <laughs> this other person says, I need to get above that one. I want them to hear me. And that's kind of the deal that was happening and taking place. And Paul is speaking against that. He's like saying, if you really want to be spiritual, if you really want to make a difference in others' lives, if you really want to stand out for God, not to people, but to God, then excel in the gifts that build the church. Verse 13, for this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Paul lets us know here in these couple of verses that tongues do not communicate even in prayer. Words that can be understood. This point is an eye-opener, really, I think, Paul is saying, although when I pray in the Spirit, I don't understand what I'm praying, but my spirit, the deepest part of me, the core of my being does and is built up miraculously and beautifully. This is one of those things that is a mystery of God. 
is kind of like you really don't find a great way to explain it. It's just better felt than telt. <laughs> in turn, you like that, Kenny? That was, is that how they say it in Texas? Yeah. <laughs> it's something that you experience in the spirit, but how do you explain that happening? And so the deepest part of him is, is, is expressing and, and responding in that way. And so Paul is saying, on the other hand, it's great for someone's private devotion, but, on, but then maybe in terms of public gatherings, not so much because no one knows what's being said. That way no one is being edified and built up. The phrase, my spirit is praying, refers to both the spirit and the spirit. The person's inner spirit prays to and praises God with words given by the Holy Spirit. This is similar, I think, to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8. And some of you are familiar with this passage, chapter, Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. He says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray. Have you ever been there? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. That word groans in the original language just deeply kind of basically means those deep sighs where that is all that you can do is a sigh and you don't have the words. It's a sigh. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And so if you are wondering, what then are the benefits, Dave, of the gift of tongues? We understand the benefit of prophecy as God's message is coming and people being, build, being built up. What's the benefit of this prayer language? Well... Have you ever felt beat down, torn down? Have you ever felt worn out about burned out? Here's a weapon in the arsenal, a tool in the toolbox to pull out at such times. Pray in the spirit. Paul is encouraging Utilize this prayer language and watch what God will do and how your faith will increase and grow. Verse 15. I like this. So what shall I do? <laughs> Paul saying this. He gives us the answer. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding, I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they do not know what you're giving thanks for, <laughs> what you're saying? 
You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. Once again, Paul isn't denying or forbidding the use of the gift of tongues. He is insisting on the proper use of the gift. Paul says, what then shall I do? I think this is so good. His answer, again, being both. I'm going to pray and sing in the spirit. But for you all's sake, I'm going to do it in language you understand as well. Praying in tongues was for Paul a practice that edified him, even if he did not understand what he was saying. He was trusting God in that sense, in the spirit. In addition to that, however, he would pray and sing with his intellect and understanding in his own language, language of whomever he was with there, in this case, Greek. And this would edify both himself and others. I think possibly we got a lot of things going on here, and this might be one of the places where Paul might be actually utilizing not only the gift of tongues in the public gathering, but the interpretation as well. He might be speaking to that as one of the things that's going on, but also obviously he's been talking about, um, and some scholars see this as, the encouragement for that prayer language being done in private where the prophecy then happens in public. I think probably if Paul isn't always interpreting whatever he's saying in in the prayer language, at the very least, and I think what there is room for here and what can be allowed if, say we're in a gathering like this and we just worship like we've just done and and your heart is just being so filled with thanksgiving and with love for God and passion, passion for Jesus is just bubbling over in your heart and you like have to respond in the spirit with a prayer language that God has given you. I think Paul is saying at this point, it can be private even in a public gathering in the sense where you're underneath all the other voices. You're not trying to compete and be above others. You're just kind of doing this privately to yourself right where you are. Okay? And then, no, you're not you know, moving back into singing the words on the screen in our case, right? And words that you understand. And then all of us in that point being, being encouraged and edified. I, I know I do, and I'm standing over here when we're singing, and I often can't see what's going on behind me. But every once in a while, I'll take a peek. And it's always such a blessing to watch you yes. responding to Jesus yes. in worship. I have to believe that you get encouraged when you see others as well responding in worship, lifting their hearts, maybe even their hands in praise and worship to God. You're edified, you're encouraged, and you're being built up in the process. Some scholars see it that way, and I think it's, there's room for all of that in this sense. The point here is clear. The believers in Corinth needed to do the same. (laughs) 
as Paul is instructing them. Paul is basically once again telling these Corinthian believers, don't make this about you. This is about God. And expressing to him in a proper kind of way. Verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. (laughs) But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul makes what he has been saying even more clearer. The Corinthians may have been thinking that Paul was putting down the gift because he himself did not have the gift. So Paul explains, not only do I have the gift, but I use it more than you do. Nevertheless, Paul said that he would rather speak five intelligible words than thousands in in a prayer language kind of thing because only words that are understood can instruct, right? Once again, the implication is that the believers in Corinth who were gifted with tongues should do the same. Verse 20, brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Now, as we know, the Bible sometimes commends childlike attitudes in believers. Jesus presented a child's trust as a model for faith. Remember that in Mark chapter 10, verse 15? And in this verse, Paul insisted that believers should be as innocent and as naive as infants with regards to evil. Meaning believers should be inexperienced in and separated from evil and that they should not know much about it. (laughs) While he found it appropriate to be innocent regarding evil, Paul insisted that believers should still be mature adults in their thinking, he says. In other words, with respect to Christian doctrine and practice and the call to love, Paul wanted the Corinthians, as God would want us, to be mature in their perspectives and in their behavior as representatives of Jesus Christ. Verse 21, in the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord said, As my people turn their back on me and become cold towards me, they will hear the tongues of other nations 
when foreigners invade their land. And what we see here, we see the fulfillment of this in Isaiah chapter 28, which is where Paul is quoting from here in verse 21. The fulfillment is from Isaiah 28. Because when God's people, God's people now, okay, had grown indifferent towards him, the Assyrians were allowed to occupy their land. That means a whole new different language had come. A foreign language. Language they didn't know and understand. Because of this historical reference, however, where Isaiah is speaking to God's people, and because we are to follow the way of love, when Paul says tongues are a sign for unbelievers, this passage can apply in a couple of ways. The first being to those whose hearts have grown cold, indifferent, or even calloused toward the things of the Lord and to the presence and the power and the giftings of the Holy Spirit. Kind of like at that point, Paul is speaking to unbelieving believers. And the second, of course, being those who truly are unbelievers, those without the knowledge or experience of salvation. Let me just insert here a quick little story. A pastor shares a time when he was at a men's retreat, and they were holding the retreat, this men's conference, in a hotel. And so because it's in a hotel, they're using somewhat of the cafeteria area, and the, the bar of the hotel was in that area. And as they're having their meeting and someone is speaking, somebody in the group actually stood up and gave a message in tongues. It was followed with an interpretation. And that was all cool and great. And they went on with their meeting. And then later on, the guy who was tending bar came to them and let him know, I don't know who that guy is, but he spoke in my native language. And what he had to say pierced my heart. And I want, long story short, give my life to Jesus. True story. God works and moves. However, he wants to work and move with these special enablements that come as gifts from him. Prophecy, however, is for believers, Paul says, because it edifies them, as we've been saying, and builds them up in their faith. And so as far as Paul is concerned, tongues are a sign providing a way for God to expose unbelief in whomever, while prophecy is a sign that provides a way for God to reveal his gracious forgiveness and restoration offered to those who do believe. Verse 23. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, which was what was going on in Corinth, and inquirers or 
unbelievers come in, <laughs> will they not say that you are out of your mind? <laughs> I think so. But if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. In other words, Paul isn't saying that they're being judgmental and that kind of thing. He's just talking about because of the moving of the Spirit and what Spirit is doing in that moment, that is what's happening. And then he says in verse 25, as the secrets of their hearts, it's not because someone starts tattletelling on them because they know about them, it's just the Holy Spirit is revealing these things, bringing them up to be dealt with. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, oh, that we'd see more of this, folks. God is really among you. Wow. The struggle of Corinthian worship gatherings was not dullness, but actually rowdiness. They'd gotten out of line. Rather than submitting to the main purpose of the worship service, which is what? To honor and reveal the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen? Individuals sought to show off their own personal high-octane spirituality, personal and spiritual pride before God and people was blurring and confusing the very portrayal of the Son of God. The church no longer functioned as the body of Christ, but acted like a gathering of competing individuals who all claimed a special relationship with the Lord, even though it seems to me he wasn't being allowed to be the Lord of their gatherings. Paul's call for order in which is what he is doing in this chapter. Bringing them to a place of order. Let's get this straightened out, church. His call for order is not a call for boring. It's not a call for lifeless dullness. He rebukes the Corinthian gatherings not for their passion, but for their misguided application of the Spirit's enablements. Order does not mean eliminating freedom and allowing God to move and do whatever it is He wants to do. Instead, order, along with His love, must guide the demonstrations of the Spirit, lest they become expressions that grieve and insult the Holy Spirit. And we don't want to do that, do we? Paul's instruction aims to keep a balance between order and passion. Order without passion lacks the quality that confirms the presence of God, His life-giving Spirit. Passion without order lacks the quality that confirms the power of God's Christ's revealing Spirit. 
Paul's corrective guidance is for the church to make sure that the message of Jesus remains undiluted and unobstructed and to do so in a way that allows those on the outside to always see the love of Jesus on the inside, on the inside of us. Ducato writes in his book, He Chose the Nails, when asked to describe the width of his love, Jesus stretched one hand to the right and the other to the left and had them nailed in that position so you would know that he died loving you. Surely there has to be a limit to this love. You'd think so, right? But David the adulterer never found it. Paul the murderer never came across it. And it also eluded Peter, the liar. When it comes to life, they all hit bottom. But when it came to God's love, they never did. How wide is God's love? Wide enough for the whole world, which happens to include you and me. And may that be what the world sees in us before it sees anything else. Amen? Amen. Question I'll leave with you is this. Will they see Jesus in us? That's the goal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and once again we want to say thank you for your word for its truth, and for the many ways that it comes and encourages us, strengthens us, comforts us, and maybe even at times convicts us. I pray, Lord, that we respond accordingly, that we take seriously these words that are intended for us to take seriously not to just hear them in this moment and be okay with them and maybe even agree with them and then go out there and do life as usual, business as usual, not being a great testimony and witness for Jesus. May your love that we have experienced in salvation, in your grace and in your mercy, permeate our entire beings enabling us to devote ourselves to you to get over ourselves to lay ourselves off to the side and allow you to come and fill us so that we would look like behave like live like believe like you Jesus may the world see us our May the world see you in us, Lord, in a way that has never happened before for any of us. I pray, God, you do a holy work in us all. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, 
please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.